0: Outkick 360, the final hour on this Friday, means it's time for the VolQuest Power Hour. And alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. We say hello to Brent Hubs and Austin Price of VolQuest.com, who joins us from Knoxville. Gentlemen, hope you're doing well as we head into yet another great weekend. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We are excellent. Austin's been hitting the links. Uh, I, I highly recommend if you're not uh, friends with Austin on Facebook that you hit him up so you can see all these videos. Brent, does he send you the private videos from the golf courses that he plays, uh, much like he would send out and post on his Facebook page?
1: No, no. I mean, he's. I've got him blocked on some of that stuff anyway. <laughs> but, um, no. The only one I get is, is I get – I get the Masters one um, every every week during the Masters, and then randomly, arbitrarily, he might just throw that one my, my way because he he took me to Augusta. He let me see the golf course, so he wants to remind me that, A, he gave me the tour, gave me all the backstories, and, oh, by the way, he's played the golf course.
2: <laughs> I hadn't heard about that.
3: Always, always key, playing the golf
2: course. But we have
1: heard about when you dropped
4: ice on the ground at Augusta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, w- I would like to add, I would definitely like to add that listening to your alls conversation before the break, um, Major League Baseball just needs to do one thing. They just got to go and get that Mount Juliet A's team. The pitcher I hear on that team gets lit up like a Christmas tree uh, during the week and on the weekend. So they get that pitcher on that Coach Pitch Mount Juliet A's team. Chad, your thoughts.
3: You, you, You let me go out there on a Major League Baseball mound and your hitting woes are completely cured in one outing right there. I'm going to throw gasoline at that You're definitely fire. no
4: Sunny Gray. pitcher. Yeah, if,
3: if Major League <laughs> Baseball wants an end to their offensive woes, I'm your pitcher. You sign me up for a team and those offensive That's woes will go away. Do. Guys, I want to start with basketball, surprisingly enough, uh, today because big news coming down uh, right as we were on air today. Tennessee going to play Villanova next year in this Mohegan nice. Sun Classic. Rick Barnes versus Jay Wright and you've got Purdue in North Carolina on the other side of that little uh, round-robin tournament. So Tennessee will play one of those teams as well. It's amazing to me, and Brent, we'll start with you on this one, how Tennessee has really become a national draw under, under Rick Barnes that this is a national college basketball story today that people are excited to watch these two programs play each other next year. And it's really a testament to what he's done with the program.
1: Yeah, Two things. Uh, one, it's a testament to what he's put together from a roster standpoint and, and and the talent he's putting on the floor and the expectations he's created. The other thing, too, is it's a testament to the relationships that Rick Barnes has and his ability to get into these tournaments. You go back and think about it. They played Villanova and Purdue, I think, in um, the Bahamas or somewhere like that when, yeah. when they were just kind of building this thing up. They have been able to get into these types of tournaments because of Rick Barnes's relationship with people. The difference now is they're expected to win these types of tournaments or at least be one of the best teams in this tournament because of the roster he's assembled. So, uh, assembled. I, I think there's two things there, and it's, it's the tip of the uh, hat to Rick Barnes for A, being who he is, and, and B, what his staff has put together from a roster.
0: Brent Hubbs and Austin Price with us from VolQuest.com. Guys, how do you think the average fan feels about the job Josh Heupel's done since he's been on the job? Like, what's fair based on the reaction that you've heard and read through mailbags, through posts at VolQuest, reading the general's quarters, which I know can get messy no matter what time of year, no matter the coach. But I'm comparing this to other regimes at the start. How would you describe it? What's fair? I think it's a wait and see approach.
4: Uh, I I think that that there are certain fans that are obviously very optimistic just with the additions in the transfer portal and, and the fact that, you know, they're going to be, you know, looking to throw the ball vertically and score points and all that stuff. Um, But I think, you know, Tennessee fans as a whole is they're, they're a bit jaded right now. I mean, you know, they've had a reason to be jaded for the last decade, but they've kind of hung in there and they've hung in there. But I think this off season with all the change and, moving parts really kind of took a toll on them. So I think that they're optimistic and hopeful, but they're also taking a wait and see approach, you know, because they've kind of been there, done that with, you know, a new coach and getting too excited too soon. So, you know, I think most of it is kind of just like, you know, I like this guy. He seems like he's got something, About him, but I'm going to take that wait and see
1: approach. What do you think, Brent? Well, I think you're exactly right, and and I would throw in this. I think that there's a little more cautious optimism right now than there was six or eight weeks ago. Austin, you talked about it on on this show a month, month and a half ago, whenever it was, about how Tennessee didn't have a whole lot of juice, didn't really have anything going on in recruiting. They couldn't get a commit, and then when you look at what they've gotten done, commitments and transfer portal. I think there's some people that are trying to temper their expectations and going, let's wait and see. But but they've done some things here that, that we like. Uh, but I, I think because of the, the past history with Tennessee, I think there is more wait and see with Josh Heupel than there was with Butch Jones or Derek Dooley or, or, or Lane Kiffin and, and, and that type of thing. There's always the, hey, we like this guy better because he's the opposite of the previous guy. And that's a given. Anytime you hire a coach, because nobody goes out and hires the same guy that they just fired. They they hire a different personality, different philosophy. So you have that natural thing built in. But I think there's a little bit more, or a little bit of an increased optimism on May the twenty first than there was on March twenty first because of what they've been able to get done. Whatever what they've been able to get done in the transfer world. Well, let's take
3: a look at that transfer world and that transfer portal and. Much like the University of Tennessee's roster was very good to Oklahoma, the University of Michigan's roster has been a fertile recruiting territory for Tennessee. The latest news comes down yesterday with the linebacker uh, transferring to Tennessee. What do you guys think about this addition, and and what is the upside for a player like this, who I know only played in one game for the Wolverines, but he transfers in only playing the one year as a true freshman at Michigan?
4: Well, the upside is, is, you know, he's got a lot of athleticism and for a team that's void of pass rushers, the potential to have a guy that can get off the edge in a hurry is something that I think is exciting to this coaching staff. Um, you know, I, they've, you know, I think really been excited about him as they've worked on him since he's went into portal and, uh, they were able to get that done. Uh, Brian Jean Marie, um, you know, really good relationship there, both from Brooklyn and, um. You know, William Mohan, or as he goes by Apache, that's um, his nickname, uh, you know, I, I think is, is a guy that brings energy. And you look at that linebacker room, you've already got Jeremy Banks. He's an energy guy. You add someone who's more going to be on the outside overall. And William Mohan, he's going to bring energy along with Roman Harrison. Um, it, it just added depth at a position of need because you can never have too many pass rushers wrench. You've got to be able to get to the quarterback and uh, I know they're hopeful that because he has four years of eligibility remaining that, you know, hey, this is a guy that can help us for the next several
1: years. Well, I'm all in on a guy with a nickname Apache just because it's a cool <laughs> nickname to have. So I, I'm, I'm in there. But I think the biggest thing, when you look at what Tennessee's done in the transfer portal recently, two things stand out to me. One, everybody's got multiple years of eligibility left with the last two or three guys that they've taken. The the, the kid, the Terry kid from Kansas, um, the, the Haddon kid from Auburn, and then and now Mohan. The other thing, too, with all three of those guys, they have prior relationships with the Tennessee coaching staff, okay? Um, Mohan played for Tennessee's linebackers coach for a year at, at Michigan, knows him. They're from the same area. Willie Martinez recruited the Auburn transfer along with Josh Heupel. They got him on an official visit. They know what that kid's about. Rodney Garner recruited Terry um, when he was at Auburn to a degree. So I think you're seeing two trends. One, Transfers with multiple years of eligibility are a priority for Tennessee. And two, as they establish their culture, they want to get guys that they are comfortable with on and off the field, and guys that they have relationships with. And we've seen that with their last three transfers.
3: And guys, you hit on some of those transfers you just did right there, Brent. I'm curious though, in terms of guarded optimism with this team, how transformational are these transfers for Tennessee's defense? Are we looking at three or four possible new starters coming to the defense uh, with, the, with this group? Or is this mostly a depth play when you look at some of these guys transferring in? I mean, so, it's definitely
4: depth, Brent, but I also think that, you know, ultimately, it, it, these are guys that can potentially win a starting job. DJ Terry can win a starting job. Jawan Mitchell is gonna be expected to win a starting job as an inside linebacker. Um, Mohan has potential probably still a year away just from building his body and getting where they want him to be physically but I think he's gonna play and then you add Haddon hadn't who uh, Brent you know Tennessee's got some guys in the secondary but they're not real deep there so he could potentially you know beat out somebody and start beside Alante Taylor or or someone else in the secondary
1: yeah I mean I think for the defensive lineman they're in the rotation out of the gate okay what? Um, you, you, because you're going to play more guys and you're going to rotate guys. So whether they start or they don't start there, I think doesn't matter. I think those guys are going to play uh, out of the gate. You, you mentioned Mitchell at linebacker makes the most sense. The secondary thing's pretty interesting when you look at where they are. Yes, they need depth now, but the biggest concern for this program in the secondary is where they could be at a year from now after they lose Alante Taylor, Kenneth George, Theo Jackson, Trayvon Flowers, um guys like that I mean they're going to be they have a chance to be pretty depleted back there uh, in that secondary so they're going to have to have some real help a year from now and um to do that I I think that you want to bring in some guys now that's why they were interested in 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 Haddon from Auburn because even if he doesn't start this year he should be ready to start a year from now when they're definitely going to need a ton of help back there
2: wondering about Caden Salter seemed like uh Uh, You know, he felt like he was going to be the next guy at at quarterback, got himself in some trouble, wasn't a part of what went on in the offseason, going to be a part now of the summer offseason. But in the meantime, Joe Milton is here and, and other guys have passed him. What do you think about his status and his standing now?
1: Well, I think with Caden, it's it's you know you're playing so much catch-up for him. I mean, he, you know Austin has has said this I think on a couple of our podcasts, and it makes sense. It's you know you, you obviously he made a mistake. He shouldn't have done it, but the mistake is he he cost himself a half a year of high school and spring practice. You know, I mean he would have certainly been better off staying in high school and going to the prom and and enjoying, you know, just doing nothing for a few months because the whole plan was to come here go through spring practice, get a leg up, give yourself a, a better chance to compete. And because of his decisions, uh, he, he took himself out of that equation. So he is starting brand new. Um, and, and so, you know, he's coming in with the least experience of anybody in the quarterback room. When you look at it, I mean, Milton's played in, in a Power 5 game. Hooker's played in a Power 5 game. Harrison Bailey started Power 5 game. Brian Bauer started a Power 5 game. Caden Salter's yet to be on the practice field for a Power 5 team. So he's playing a lot of catch-up.
0: Brent Hubbs and Austin Price with us from VolQuest.com. Coming up, we discuss recruiting for Heupel and his staff. Just setting the table here, is it about where we expected it would be from the jump? Austin will give us his thoughts on that versus where it is right now in a big period coming up around the corner.
3: And I'm going to ask Brent about a column he wrote about pride and the price of pride at Tennessee in regards to the baseball program that we're gonna get into.
0: But first, Chad, tell us about Renter's Warehouse and the great folks that have joined us here at OutK360.
3: Love talking about Renter's Warehouse because I know firsthand uh, how they help people. And I've heard from a lot of satisfied customers with Renter's Warehouse. You can call them right now at 615-398-9550. We'd urge you to go to their website though. They created this just for the show, rwnashville.com. Again, rwnashville.com. They've got the Upfront Rent Program going on right now. By giving you your money upfront, Renters Warehouse helps minimize risk and provides financial flexibility so you can build long-term wealth. Renters Warehouse is Nashville's leader in property management and the only company providing upfront rent. The Upfront Rent Program available for a limited time. Call Renters Warehouse at 615-398-9550 or you can visit the website rwnashville.com. That's rwnashville.com to see if you qualify. Do it the renter's warehouse way and get tomorrow's rent today.
0: Brent Hubs of allquest.com and Austin Price from Peter Millar's shop. They continue with us next from Outkick. VolQuest's Power Hour rolls on here on Outkick 360. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, joined by Brent Hobbs and Austin Price, who join us from Knoxville, and you can read their great work at VolQuest.com. You've got The War Room, which is available every single Friday morning, available now at VolQuest.com, uh, worth the, the monthly subscription based on that alone. And, Chad, another thing you can get right now at VolQuest is a great column from Brent Hubbs.
3: Yeah, and uh, Brent, I I enjoyed uh, your column about pride and uh, the price of pride at times and what the investment maybe should be into the baseball program under Tony Vitello, even though it's a program that is not a big money maker for the university. Um, What do you think about what that program and that team has done in terms of pride with Tennessee fans? And how do you think Danny White is thinking about the cost of that pride that, that you mentioned in the column?
1: Well, I think Tennessee. I mean, fans love a winner. Okay, uh, and here's the thing about Tony Vitello. He's not just winning this year. This is not a blip on the radar. Uh, two years ago, they were a regional team. Last year, before the season got cut short, they were off to a fantastic start, and we're going to be a region te- regional team. So, this is not a situation where um, you know this is they've cycled up for one year, and there's going to be this big drop off. Um, so, I think the bigger question for for fan for for Danny White and, and the thing you have to look at it from a Tennessee's per perspective is how competitive you want to be in baseball, period. Your facilities are, are getting lapped. I mean, they're just, they're bad. Uh, they're, they're at the bottom of the league and whether Tony Vitello is your coach or not, you're going to have to upgrade your facilities if you're going to want to be competitive in baseball. You're not going to be able to continue to recruit um, and be successful. It, it's a, it's a credit and a hell of a job by Tony Vitello that he's been able to do that and put this program where it's at, given where the facilities are. So it's not just a question about building facilities to keep Tony. It's about building facilities to, to make baseball competitive in the most competitive league in the country. Uh, to do that, you're going to have to make an investment in that. And, and are you going to get rich off of it? No, probably not. You know, uh, it, it's, it's just you're, you're not. But if you want to be competitive in it, you want to have pride in that program, you're going to have to make a financial investment. I think Danny White knows that. He was a part of the stadium build at Ole Miss when they took debt on there, knowing it was going to be hard to repay that debt back. So I think he understands that part of it. and He better understand it quickly because everybody is going to come after Tony Battello.
3: What do you guys think about the, the ongoing debate about on-campus baseball stadium versus this proposed downtown Knoxville baseball
1: stadium? Well, I don't I, think, go ahead, go Archer. ahead, Brandon. Well, Vitello doesn't want to play off campus. He he wants to be on he wants to be on campus. That doesn't mean he won't play some big games or marquee games or things like that at a downtown facility. I, I think I think there's two reasons for that. One, uh, the atmosphere when you put college baseball in a facility that hose that 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 twenty five thousand or whatever is very different. You know um, and so I think he wants to keep things on campus a little more of a an intimate environment if you will add some club things down the left field line add the porch stuff that you know you would not have that kind of intimacy with a with a minor league ballpark I think the other thing too is the scheduling standpoint Um, you know it's he can add a game on a Tuesday night if he wants to You know what I'm saying? If he feels like his team needs to play an extra midweek game, he can get a deal done in a hurry, and he doesn't have to worry about it because it's his park and it's his use of that park whenever he wants to. So that's why he's more on campus with an on-campus facility uh, or more on board with that. And, and Austin, I I understand those arguments. On the flip side, I see where Randy Boyd could look at it and say, hey, we save a lot of money if we just play in the downtown ballpark It's going to be about two miles from campus. Yeah, I mean, I see see the – the advantage
4: to both and in fact if i was tennessee i would try to work it out improve lindsey nelson do some of the things you want to do um to that to that facility um but also when you know when when it calls for it be able to use the downtown ballpark i think you can still do both and and do it effectively and uh and and make it a neat type thing so you know a perfect example is like you know do you you feel like you can get more people into lindsey nelson or enough people into Lindsey Nelson versus getting, you know, uh, more people in the, in the downtown, you know, you know, minor league park, you know, because for a big weekend series, you know, I I think that that could ultimately, you know, have a huge determining factor on, you know, playing a series against Vanderbilt, which is, you know, a a perennial power in baseball or Arkansas or LSU, or one of these other really good teams in this conference.
2: That off-campus always sounds tempting, and two miles doesn't sound like a lot. But we have any examples of successful off-campus program of, of anything uh, in the SEC or, or anywhere? I, I, I don't know. Does that resonate? Well, I mean, you have,
1: I guess, South, South Carolina's basketball facility is off-campus. And um, the football. And, and, and so is football, I guess their baseball is too. But their their campus stretches from the outskirts on the southern end of, of Columbia to the to the north. I mean, their campus is very Strong. odd. It doesn't have a, yeah, it, it does. It sprawls through the whole city. Um, so that that's really the only one that that I could could think of in in, in that way. So um, you know, particularly now with with alcohol sales on campus, that's not an attractive deal like it used to be to an on off campus venue. Um, things like that so I you know what about Rupp Arena
3: is Rupp Arena an example isn't that downtown yeah,
1: yeah it, it is it's it's considered downtown and that's and worked out fine for, for but I mean there's I mean, a long time it's, it's yeah it's about the same distance as what it would be for uh, Tennessee to, to go over there for, for baseball that way um, but well, nothing, the, else, look- nothing else plays in Rupp Arena they don't share that venue with anybody either well, let's face it; it doesn't make it easier if you stay on campus for
4: the frat kids to roll over there and, yeah. you know, have themselves a little bit of fun, and then they walk quietly back hundred yards to their frat house.
0: It's part of that atmosphere,
2: Safer for then.
4: college students.
2: That's what Chad did right uh, before, during, and after tour de franzies.
3: I went to two baseball games my entire career at uh, Tennessee, Arizona State, and LSU. Once I was uh, not a big going to baseball, and I lived in the frat houses. We could hear the baseball game from my backyard of the frat house, and. Take it in, but I I didn't go to a lot of games. Now, this brand of baseball is a little bit more exciting, I think. (laughs) Uh, They were going to the College World Series when I was in school also. But, yeah, I I think there's validity to both plans, and I can certainly understand the financial incentives as to why you want to partner with downtown or someone else, but I think it's easy. It's on campus if if you're that program. That's where you want it. Austin...
0: As we switch gears and go back to, to recruiting for a moment, Josh Heupel, uh, we mentioned this last week with with Hubs, uh, entering a period, a crucial period of recruiting right around the corner. G- give us an idea of uh, the thoughts on Josh, Josh Heupel, where he was to where he's now, what, what he's stepping into, the questions around his recruiting at UCF and whether or not uh, again, at the time of the hire, he would be able to step in and do that at Tennessee. From from what you've seen, and, and you would certainly know uh, following recruiting as closely as you do, what, what's been the response to Heupel on the recruiting trail behind the scenes? Well, I've told Brent this several times. You know, guys, the one
4: guy that most kids talk about when I talk to them is the one guy that had the you know notion coming in that he wasn't a strong recruiter. And that's Josh Heupel. I mean, I, I don't know how many kids – I'm like, will you talk to this guy? Well, yeah, but I really love Coach Heupel. I really love Coach Heupel. And, and and it's just right down the line. I mean, like, I think he's proving to be a better recruiter than given credit for. And, and maybe that part is because he knows at this level he's got to be. You know, and, and there's no – I'm not saying he cut corners before. I'm just saying, like, he's got to be on point every time he's on the phone with a prospect because you don't know what kind of impact that has um from one phone call to the next and so um he's drawn rave reviews from prospects whether it be in state out of state look at a guy like cam miller out of memphis i won't say that he's running that recruitment but he is super involved in cam and and cam knows it and and so does cam's family and and they've taken notice of of how much coach heupel has kind of
0: you know been involved there any other particular names from the from the staff that have popped up along with Heupel in, in that regard? Well, I think Alex Golish has done a good job. Um, you know, he's got part of the mid-state.
4: Um, you know, Jerry Mack, has, you know, I, I think Jerry, Jerry Mack's going to be a lot like David Johnson was on, on, on Coach Pruitt's staff. You know, it, I don't think he's ever going to be like, you know, this guy where you're like, he's only a recruiter because I think he's a football coach but I think he's super capable in recruiting and the fact he's been a head coach, he's been a coordinator, now just a position coach. I think he can wear all the hats. He's impressive. Um, He relates well to kids. And so, you know, uh, when, when these prospects talk to a Jabari small or a Jalen, Wright, I continue to be told that those kids rave about him. Now, again, I don't think he's ever going to be flashy. He's not going to be on Twitter and doing all those little things like some of the the you know the, the, the coaches do. But I think he's going to be steady Eddie and really, really productive on the recruiting trail.
3: I want both you guys to chime in on this one. Identifying fit in recruiting. Butch Jones, and you guys have talked about it, was more of a star catcher. He wouldn't really evaluate fit as much as, I want to get the, the most four and five stars I can and cast a wide net and throw out a lot of offers and get those guys. Jeremy Pruitt did a good job in recruiting and got some big-time recruits to Knoxville and maybe did a better job in fit when you look at all those big-time recruits who left when Jeremy Pruitt got fired. uh, Clearly, they wanted to be a part of the program, uh, and his problem was more offensively there. Josh Heupel at identifying fit. What have you guys heard about him? What have you learned about him in his short time there of maybe going out and finding the guys that not everyone is after? but makes perfect sense for his scheme and his culture and his program.
1: Well, I'll, I'll go first here, and I want Austin, obviously, to jump in because he, he dives into it every day um, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. I think that fit is of more importance to Josh Heupel than to Jeremy Pruitt from this standpoint. Jeremy Pruitt, when he came to Tennessee, had recruited at Alabama, Georgia, Florida State. So he was recruiting national recruits and had been for a decade, essentially. And so he had relationships and ties in with all those guys. And so he was going and recruiting at that level. For Josh Heupel, he wasn't going head-to-head against Georgia and head-to-head against Alabama and head-to-head against Auburn. So he's got to get himself established to win those things. So for Josh Heupel, to me, it's all about fit right now. It is finding the right guys because it's not just that you're going to throw down this gauntlet, hey, I'm going to go sign you know four stars and five stars because that's not where Tennessee's at. Because one, hypo hasn't recruited like that in his previous stops at, at UCF. Two, Tennessee's got the NCAA investigation hanging over their head that's affecting them in recruiting Austin. So I think when you look at this from a Tennessee's perspective, fit is a very key word in evaluations for, for who Tennessee ends up landing in this class.
4: I couldn't agree more. Um, don't make a mistake what I'm going to say here. Um, rec- you know, recruiting the best players and, you know, highly ranked guys matters, okay? It, look at the top teams in college football. But those teams also have guys that they've identified that maybe weren't, you know, top 150, top 250 players that they end up, you know, Kind of bringing in, developing over that, you know, the course of time, and they end up really productive in their program. Tennessee's got to find a way to hit on those type of evaluations. Perfect example is the last class. I think Jalen Wright and Miles Campbell, two kids were here in, in midterm, and I know they've been here four months, but I'll be shocked if we don't look up four years from now and think, you know, those kids weren't really highly ranked, maybe part because COVID, but maybe not but they were super productive during their college career and, and really good players, better than what they were ranked coming out of high school. And so I, I think you have to be able to find the fit for your program. You've got to be able to find players that their best football is ahead of them. You know, you don't want to play. you don't want to pick a player that's peaking in high school. Is not going to get bigger? Isn't going to get faster? Those type of things. So for me, it, it's, it's being selective, not, you know, you know, just taking kids to take kids and you're right, not chasing stars, not just taking some of those quote, paper four stars
1: and, you know, going out there and getting the best player that fits your system. Yeah, they've got to to answer it Jonathan this way, somebody put it this way earlier this week, I think it's a great example. They have to land to to flip this thing around and rebuild it, they have to land more guys who outperform their rankings than anything else in recruiting early on here. Much the way Rick Barnes did with Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams. And they got to fix quarterback. Because yes. ultimately, that's what matters most.
0: Absolutely. Brent, start with you on this. Um, it, it's hard to just talk straight college football and have a huge topic on the sport right now without talking name-image likeness. Behind the scenes, have you been able to gather, like, are staffs devoting a lot of manpower to putting together their plan for how they're going to recruit in the future, how they're going to pitch this to people? We mentioned that, you know, Arch Manning is going to be the the prime target for NIL moving forward in this, and a great example of it with the full-on pitch from universities. How does Tennessee prepare for this as a staff? How do they stay a step ahead, maybe not even a step ahead, in stride with the universities that we know are going to crush it when it comes to NIL?
1: Well, I think Tennessee's already having conversations with prospects about NIL. Now, are they having detailed PowerPoints of this is exactly how it works and that? I don't think anybody there, I don't think you can accurately do that at this point because you're waiting on the NCAA to vote on it later uh, in late June Uh, which will really lay out a lot of the parameters for how all of that is going to work but those conversations are already taking place because you have some recruits now who are savvy enough and understand that um and, and have questions about it so yes they've had conversations as a staff they've had conversations with administrators austin and we know they've made some presentations small presentations but at least had the conversations with some recruits about nil Yeah, and you have to. I mean, you have to be forward-thinking in this. Um, I do think Tennessee,
4: as a uh, program, has got a pretty good little spot here because, you know, Knoxville's an actual city. Whereas, like, Oxford or Auburn or Starkville, they're small little towns. So you have more industry, corporations, all those type of things right here in the backyard. And so, you know, Tennessee's got to find a way to be ready, Uh, on the jump because when this thing happens it's going to be fast and furious much like when the dead period ends um you know college athletics is really going to change over the next 45 days in my opinion uh, a lot whether it be just how you know this recruiting class is shaped um you know or how you know the the name image likeness stuff you know gets voted in and how that changes things i mean I do think we're talking about a small percentage of athletes that are going to earn money, though. I mean, in my opinion, I just think it's hard to believe that there's going to be all this money for, you know, Larry, the second-string middle linebacker. To me, this is going to be for the John Fulkerson's and the Kennedy Chandler's and Arch Manning's. And you're, you're basically the face of your franchise, so to speak, more so than anything else.
2: Brent, you, you said something there about guys being savvy or, or some guys being savvy enough to understand it. How much is that in play here? What percentage of guys being recruited have some sort of understanding of this before coaches start coming in there and and laying out what it is? And how much is this who can best, uh, maybe not necessarily lay out what it is, but convince or con them into what it's going to be? Well, I think you have to be
1: careful here if you're a school. I mean, you've got to lay out how it works, but you better be cautious and careful into talking about what the expectations of money might or might not be. I mean, I've seen some former players at Georgia and and some of the talk about Georgia in a story I read about how much money – Um, you know, Todd Gurley would have made or this guy would have made. We don't have any idea what what those guys would have realistically made. So I think if you're a school, you've got to lay out a plan of action of here's how the plan would work. But you can't be sitting there going, hey, if you come to school X, you know, you're you're going to make $250,000 a year. Or you're going to make this a year because there's no way anybody can accurately put that number out there. And here's one thing it's one thing to mislead somebody in recruiting about how many running backs they've got in the room, you know, or how many quarterbacks they're going to end up taking. It's a whole other thing to misrepresent or to mislead a family into how much money you're going to be able to put in your pocket with the NLI rule compared to what uh, ultimately ends up happening. So I think schools got to be very cautious about what they're promising out there to kids because – you don't want to mess with somebody's money. I don't care who you are. That's not going to end very well.
0: Austin Price and Brent Hubs, VolQuest.com. Austin, did uh, I'm assuming you were play You were on the golf course instead of at Newland Stadium for the top golf event. Do you see that? I did see it. Uh, it's still going on. Um, oh, is it? Scott Stallings.
4: Scott, Scott Stallings is over there today, and, and 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 you know, go do a little thing. I think he was there this morning. Um, PGA Tour player and. Yeah, who lives here in town and then you know that you know, it's still going on the next couple of days so now i've not been over there i'm saving my first time with you guys okay
0: okay I, thank you
4: I, I want it to be special and uh <laughs> you know and that and that's the big thing i mean I, I i i expect well and i fully expect everybody to be in outkick peter Millar gear uh clay <laughs> needs to deliver on this if clay does not deliver on this my appearance Maybe
0: in jeopardy. <laughs> oh, don't, don't give wow. him any big ideas. And, uh, and that, that is very special because you always Bears. remember your first. You always remember your first. And, and Austin playing top golf <laughs> for the first time uh, will be at 360 Masters, which is More coming up occasion. on Thursday, June 10th. We're less than three weeks away from the big night. Thursday, June 10th, you can go to our link tree, which is linked in our bio right now wherever you're watching, and you can find the sign-up for the Eventbrite link, 360 Masters, and VolQuest will have a bay. Brent and Austin will be in town. They will be teeing off to benefit the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Wild of Tennessee.
2: Cherry Orchard.
0: <laughs> yeah, what's the name of the hole? We- Weeping Cherry. <laughs> Weeping Cherry. <laughs> oh, hey, um, and on the way out, I, I did walk by Peter Millar's store in Atlanta last week in Avalon. And uh, I was with my. Um, uh, uh, Claire and I had our dog with us, and she's like, You need to take a photo and send that to Austin and the, and the, and the crew. Uh, otherwise, I would have gone in. I did peek inside the Peter Millar shop, Brent, and just so you know, if I stepped inside the store, I would have felt out of place. Like, I shouldn't be here like right it had now. had a coverage over there. There was no how how high high clearance level. rack in there. That's how high level it was. Like, they should be, yeah, there should be a, 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 a rope that you have to step behind to get into shop.
2: He's leaving out yep. the part where Brody the dog barked wildly at a <laughs> mannequin that looked exactly like Austin Priceless. Uh, modeling Peter Millar.
1: He doesn't bark. He doesn't bark in public. He's very good.
2: That's what was so surprising.
1: Well, you know, it's not a surprise. I mean, there are no, there are no red tag items at the Peter Millar store. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, Austin, it's like it's like a, he's, he's hitting a flux capacitor when he goes into one of those because you just don't see him. You don't know where he went. He just disappears. You know, and he comes back sometime later and he's got Eighteen bags um, <laughs> I, I can't imagine- i mean on his travel back from this last golf trip, I'm sure there was an extra suitcase involved in the return because of all the gear that he brought home um, that you know thats that's where it's at he's he's into me, he's into Peter Millar, and I'm just glad I could find a collared shirt today for Kaharski so that he's not mad at me so you look great. Um, we, we're make, we're making some progress for Paul awesome I price. can never be at Austin. wow. I-
4: I am I am I am and I know we're up against it. I am so bad at going in one of those stores or into a golf course that sells a lot of Peter Millar because there's so much stuff. I'm overwhelmed. And For so I take Forever,
3: <laughs> forever. <laughs> really? Figures. We'll close it this way. We really need to get Peter Malar as a sponsor if we're going to continue these of segment <laughs> discussions of Peter, peter Malar. peter again, I said it again for free, but we've got to get Peter Malar as a
4: sponsor. Sponsored yeah. the Tennessee Power Hour on Fridays. Perfect.
3: Thanks, boys, like guys. Thank, thank you, guys.
0: Hi, guys. Right, guys. Thanks, have a good weekend. You too. Brent Hubbs, Austin Price there VaultQuest.com.
2: Hutton, when we come back, David Poyle said something before the Predators playoff series with the Hurricanes began that is bugging me now that they're down 0-2. And it's my turn in the parlay game. I'll give you guys our play for the weekend. We're getting a winner.
0: The 360 Weekend Parlay. Time to write down a winner next on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Outkick 360 wrapping up a great Friday edition as we head into the weekend. We hope everyone has a great weekend ahead. And uh, you can follow along with us throughout the weekend on Instagram, our Instagram story. Uh, Headed to Preds game tonight at Bridgestone Arena. Game three as the Preds take on the Hurricanes down 0-2, Paul.
2: So Adam Vingen, uh wrote today at The Athletic, and he was talking about the big boys uh, having to step up, which is something we've been talking about. And he, he's got a paragraph on Johansson, a paragraph on Duchesne, a paragraph on Forsberg, which leads him into this quote that David Poyle uh, said before the series. But he's clearly where this quote is placed, not talking about the rookies and the kids. He's talking about the team. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm going to find out a lot about our team and about the individuals on our team. I'm going to find out how good Carolina is and what the difference is between these two teams. All of those things are going to go into the decision-making process in the offseason as to where we go with the franchise. Now, of, of course, the second part, of course, you know how you do in this frames a little bit about where you go in the, in the future. But this thing, I'm going to find out a lot about our team and about the individuals of our team. I've heard David Poyle say a lot. At what point do you know about these, these people? I, I mean, I, I, it keeps kind of, to me, pushing back. Like, I want him to know about Matt DeShane. I want him to know about Philip Forsberg. I want him to know about Ryan Johansson. I, I, I don't like that every time he gets to a point like this, there's more to learn. Does he know the roster? Does he know these guys? Or does he keep pushing back uh, 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 an opinion on what he has in these guys? I think we know. I don't think they're coming back from 0-2 down. He doesn't have to make a decision right now. But I don't like this kind of thing where, well, we're going to learn more about our guys. These have been your guys for some time, most of them.
3: I kind of like that. The way I interpret it is – He's going to know how they stack up against the best in the East. And playoffs are the proving ground for teams. Great once you get in, but once you get there, that's the proving ground. So I take it more of a now we know we're nowhere near the top of the league, right? That's what this, that to me so far is what this series is showing them. They weren't near Carolina throughout the regular season. And they haven't been close to them, really, through two games Not in close series. to the Coyotes in yeah, the tournament last year. Not, yeah, a year ago. A team that they should be very much like mm-hmm. and beat was uh, were the Coyotes, and they weren't close there. So I see it more as a proving ground of they're going to know what to do with this team and how far off they are after this season. I well, hope that's
0: the case. There's been a commitment to a core group of guys, and... After this series, if in fact they are swept, or if they, to me, the expectation should be at least six games with this group, uh, because they they're the clear and decisive underdog of this series. And sure. as, as I mentioned yesterday, that shouldn't be acceptable with the money that they're paying for these certain stars to be stepping up in these moments, and they're not. So some answers will be determined based on how they're playing in the postseason, regardless of how they played down the stretch of the season. So. I understand where he's coming from from that perspective, but here's hoping he acts on it if, in fact, it's needed. I don't, I don't see how he couldn't because some decisions would have to be made. And behind the scenes, you have to ask, we made this investment. It didn't work. It's not going to work. How long is it going to take uh, where you, you figure out how long we can go with the current group versus moving on to the next Core group of players. How I mean, much? How long can you rely on a core group of players that's not producing in the first round of the postseason? How
2: long can you say, uh, write a story like Vingan's writing, saying, it's time for the big boys to step up?
3: Well,
0: and think we, about, I think
2: we know what these
3: big boys are. Think about how much this weekend is going to confirm or change our thoughts going into Monday's show. They'll split. A- after this weekend, I think they're getting swept. They might. But after this weekend, I mean, Hutton, I agree with you. The year, and correct me if I'm wrong, the year that they won the President's Trophy, they played Colorado in the first round and won in six games, Mm -hmm. right? That's a six-game series when the Preds were the best team in hockey that year. Now Carolina's one of the best teams in hockey. They should be the Colorado-type team at the very least. They should be able to to push a team like this for six games before losing. If they get swept, and we're coming back here Monday doing a post-mortem of their season, or the opportunity in front of them this weekend at home and what they could do and make this series interesting, it's going to be an eventful show from a Preds perspective come Monday.
0: I'm thrilled to be in attendance tonight because uh, the Preds and the Hurricanes are setting the standard for pro sports. Uh, aside, aside from the UFC, we're seeing the two franchises that have opened up their arena above 10,000. Um, Washington and Boston combined in their buildings will not have 12,000 people. Vegas just pushed to 6,000. Florida hosted 12,000 for the UFC and got national attention. Tampa Bay and Florida haven't pushed this far open yet. So I, I can't wait to be in attendance and feel the energy of Bridgestone Arena. Can the Preds take advantage of that? Because the Hurricanes stepped up and took advantage of home ice and now the Preds have to push it back and at least get it to 2-1. Uh, if they get swept and then they get swept on home ice Sunday, um, I, I mentioned this yesterday, I, I haven't felt the, the, the divide between the, the, the fan base and a head coach this device has been a long time. They're just very dismissive of John Hines. And
2: Laviolette was not and, a popular and, guy. And So that's saying
0: something. But he was popular with some.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. He was popular right. because he of what it. he had produced with this team and certain right. players. Um fans are very dismissive of this head coach. And if this head coach gets swept in the first round after what we saw last year, uh there there will be uh there will be some vocal fan base uh reaction to strong all of this. A strong segment and, of the
2: fan base that thinks he's And over we'll be his honest head, right?
0: with it on on Monday. strong well. segment
2: that thinks he's over his head. Paul, what we got tonight? Sure. All right, uh White Sox, 7 of the last 8 they've scored four or fewer. Yankees, 3 of the last 4 they've scored two runs the Stantons out of the lineup. Yankees, White Sox tonight, under eight and a half runs. Atlanta Hawks at the Knicks tonight. Fifteen thousand people at Madison Square Garden for the first postseason game since two thousand and thirteen. Knicks money. Okay, Madison line. Square
3: Garden have fifteen thousand people, but yet <laughs> Anyway, keep going.
2: Knicks, money line NBA over NBA the too. Hawks in that game. Money line? Money line. And to sweeten it up and make you guys happy because you want European soccer in the mix. Chelsea over Aston Villa, uh, um, minus 220. you got to make sure you take the minus 220 there because home and away gets flipped in European soccer. So the total of those three... Is plus four oh eight five dollars to win twenty forty two. Quickly, go.
3: Paul, give us give us it one more time. Under in the White Sox Yankees. Yankees
2: White Sox under Hawks. Knicks Knicks money line. Chelsea money line over Aston Villa. Doing it right now, FanDuel Sportsbook.
0: We are back at it on Monday. Hit us up on Twitter, on Instagram at OutKick three sixty. And remember, on Monday, make sure you're subscribed. Go do it right now. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. Search out OutKick360 channel on YouTube. I apologize for making this so difficult. You have to put in channel because YouTube, I I don't get it. OutKick360 channel. Subscribe. Ring that bell. Join us on Monday at noon exclusively on the OutKick360 channel through YouTube.
2: Bang, bang. Spend the weekend not blocking the box and locking the lock.